This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey, everybody. Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On the Beat presentation. And uh, some breaking news. I guess you probably saw this, that uh, Jamal Adai expected to accept the job for the Miami Hurricanes, and uh, you know this is this is a pretty quick turnaround. Of course, uh, Coach Smart hired a guy last year. He brought with him Tyke Smith, the All-American star DB from West Virginia. Of course, Tyke was injured a lot last year with the foot injury, uh, and then injured once again when he came back. So didn't see much of Tyke, but uh, it, it's it's curious. It really is. It makes you wonder why Jamal would be out uh, so quick why he would pursue another opportunity. Um, so the next defensive backs coach hired will be the fourth in five years under Kirby Smart. Uh, there's been a lot of turnover in that secondary. Uh, a lot of players have transferred out. And uh, look, it, it's no secret. Kirby is tough to play for. The standard is unbelievably high. Um, you know, this could just be an opportunity for Jamal, you know, maybe just not the right fit. Um, you know, I remember – talking with Mark D'Antonio about what it was like to coach under Nick Saban. And he said the first year he didn't coach much at all. He listened to Nick Saban run a lot of the meetings and, and kind of overspeak him. And, and it took time to earn that trust. And, and really, I think Mel Tucker had that trust. Of course, he coached with Kirby for a few years before he left for a head coaching job. But Charlton Warren, uh, you know, clashed with Kirby, didn't get a raise after year one. He stuck around two years, left to become the Indiana defensive coordinator. And now Coach Adai leaving after just one year. And, you know, talking to some parents, they said Adai was was really a, a nice a nice guy. Um, you know, Kirby likes things to be run tight. So uh, it's interesting. But, again, it's part of college football. And, you know, you got to appreciate what Coach Adai did, help Georgia win a national championship. He leaves with a national championship ring. And certainly that looks good on his resume. And let's give Miami some credit. Uh, Mario Cristobal putting together quite a staff. Kevin Steele, uh, defensive coordinator. Josh Gaddis uh, leaving Ann Arbor to become the offensive coordinator for the Miami Hurricanes. So uh, this new NIL deal should breathe life into Miami football. This is one of the programs that looks like it's going to benefit greatly. I like that handle, Jimbo's Sliced Bread. Uh, that's pretty funny, a reference to uh, Jimbo Fisher's meltdown last week when I was in Mobile. And I'll talk about that in a second. I do want to tell you, uh, we're going to bring Connor Riley on uh, later in the show. And Connor and I are going to talk about what this means for Georgia. Uh, you know, what we think, uh, you know, the direction of the program is right now. We've seen some coaching changes. And and I, and I like just kind of knocking it around with Connor anyway. We didn't have a cover four last Thursday night. We had a team dinner and uh, a dog nation team dinner. We did. And uh, we really in, in, had a nice dinner at, at, at the Capitol grill. And, and we were all able to kind of reflect on the season, just like I'm sure you all have. And, and what a special season it was for Georgia and what a special season it was for dog nation. We're really excited about a lot of the things that, that we were able to do. Certainly uh, Brandon Adams with the dog nation daily show. I know you watch that every day. Uh, Connor has his show Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday night, uh, Jeff Centel and what a great job he does with recruiting. And so um, we'll try to bring Connor on here in a little bit. When I bring Connor on, uh, that's probably going to be about our halftime show. 
and maybe throwing the Ingles right around then. But I did want to talk a little bit about – so we'll, we will get back to talking about Jamal Adai going to Miami. Let me circle back to last week and the Jimbo Fisher meltdown. Somehow I feel like, you know, we, we've talked a lot about what's happened with the NIL. And honestly, it's kind of a it's, – it's a moving target. You know, when I talked with Josh Brooks about this – and by the way, there's a story up – uh, today on Dog Nation, you're going to want to read it. Josh Brooks with some real interesting comments on ticket prices, concession prices, uh, things like that. But when I talked to Josh Brooks about NIL, uh, it was kind of a deal where, you know, hey, he said, you know, we really can't arrange those deals. We're not really allowed to. Well, they kind of are and they kind of aren't. And I can tell you from my four years covering Georgia, and most of you that have followed Georgia all your life probably know this, Georgia – most always errs on the side of caution. They're not going to be overly aggressive. Now, some programs are being aggressive with this. You know, you see Florida, Georgia Tech was aggressive uh, cutting a deal. You saw BYU has a team deal. How involved can the athletic department get in terms of setting up the deals? Kirby Smart talked about it last Wednesday. I thought Kirby uh, did as good a job as anybody at covering that. Uh, covering that ground and kind of explaining the challenges and the kids that want to come in and get NIL deals. Uh, you know, Jimbo's deal was kind of, let, let me backtrack here, right? So last July is when NIL legislation got passed and the NCAA said, yeah, you know, do it. Kids can get NILs. Well, the question is, how much can the school get involved? How much can Kirby Smart and Josh Brooks and the Georgia Athletic, how much can they direct traffic? Well, the answer is, they're not supposed to use NIL to recruit, but they are allowed to disclose what the NIL deals are that the current players have, right? They're not allowed, according to Brooks, they're not in the business of setting up NIL deals. Now, some other schools are being more aggressive with this. It's a real gray area. And again, Georgia doesn't want to step out of bounds on this. Um, and Kirby talked about that, the challenges that, look, once you get here, you can pursue an NIL deal, but nobody can give you an NIL deal up front. Well, they're not supposed to, theoretically. The school certainly can't. The question is, how organized can these boosters get to come up with their own little LLC license, their own businesses? They can do whatever they want, theoretically. And that's what a lot of people suspect happened with AM. And that's where that $30 million number came from that there was like some war chest, some slush fund that was put together. Although now it's not a slush fund. It's all above board because kids can get NIL deals. Well, Jimbo was, was furious about this, this rumor. And it started, you know, with someone on a, a message board, but you saw Lane Kiffin run with it, right? Lane Kiffin said, Hey, I think A&M, you know, something effective A&M ought to have to pay a luxury tax for all the money they spent on their class. And Jimbo himself said a month and a half ago, or almost two months ago on Paul Feinbaum's show, there's always been NIL deals. You just didn't know about them, right? So it's very interesting to me, you know, that Jimbo made a joke about it. Now it's not funny. He got upset. He brought up how Nick Saban kind of flashed that deal that Bryce Young got last summer. And he did. Saban did. He wanted there to be attention brought to the fact that Bryce Young had an NIL deal. Right now, Saban's saying he doesn't think people, you know, Nick's kind of changed his tune a little bit. Right. Can't no denying that. And then Saban goes on TV last week and says, you know, these crazy people are saying it's all above board. It's never been underboard. We've never cheated. Well, who's we for Saban? 
maybe he's never cheated. Is he saying boosters? Is he saying players never got paid to go to Alabama? Because that's we all know that that's extremely, unbelievably hard to believe and very unlikely. Okay, and and that's just we're just being honest here. Okay, anybody that's followed college football knows the deal. It, it is what it is. It is what it is. Okay, so Saban's out of sorts. Kiffin making jokes. Jimbo exploding. You know, I, I was messaging with Feinbaum. I said, what an unbelievable day. He said, oh, we're going to live off this for a long time, right? So some, some great stuff, uh, great content, great commentary. And this is a result of college football not having its act together. This is a result of the lack of leadership, the leadership vacuum in college football, right? Mark Emmert, the NCAA executive director, really – kind of backed off. I mean, back in what was it, 2013, 2014, the NCAA basically turned a lot of this control over uh, to this executive board. And and college football kind of runs itself. And quite frankly, it's not doing a very good job of that right now. Now, what I think needs to happen is Greg Sankey needs to be the commissioner of college football. That's what I think. The other thing that I think will happen that will probably go in unison with is that the word I'm looking for? Unison with this college football playoff is I think you're going to see the divide of the big schools and the little schools because you can, it, it's hard to come up with one size fits all. Now that NIL is in there, it's going to be really difficult, if not impossible for the playing field to stay level. It, it's just, it's just going to be really difficult. It's going to be hard to do that. So the NCAA has to NCAA college football uh, conferences uh, college football playoff committee, they need to huddle and say, all right, how do we want this thing to look moving forward? We've already had the debate about 14 playoff, 18 playoff, 12 team playoff. And right now, you know, the other sides don't want a 12 team playoff because they don't want the SEC to dominate, you know, and they don't, and the SEC doesn't want an 18 playoff with automatic bids because then you get five or six automatic bids and you probably only get two SEC teams in there. So the SEC says, fine, we're going to sit with four. We're going to sit with four. We don't need to go to 12. We're happy with four. I think that hurts other conferences, that they're not giving themselves an opportunity to pull those upsets, those opportunity games. Yeah, there'd be more SEC teams, but you'd have more shots at those SEC teams. You're not getting those shots right now. You're not getting those. I mean, there's some home and homes, but you're not getting those chances for an upset, right? So what the, what the NCAA football programs have to decide is how do we want this to look? Number one, how do we want to look the number of teams in the playoff? Number two, how do we want to handle the NILs? Do they want the schools to get involved in this? And if the schools do get involved in this, then what happens with Title IX legislation, right? Because Title IX states that whatever you pay for men, you got to pay for women. Does that apply to NIL? If the colleges get involved, does Title IX get pulled into this? You know, it's it's real tricky. It's There's a lot of landmines to this, right? Is there a salary cap? That's the other question. Can you put a salary cap on this? And if you tried to put a salary cap on an NIL fund, wouldn't those boosters just backdoor you and put that money somewhere else in the program and couldn't it get facilitated? So to me, can of worms, uh, A&M, Texas, oil money. Okay, both schools, they get oil grant money. Now, I don't have the legislation or the numbers right in front of me, but Texas and Texas A&M, far and away, have the largest amount of income coming in. And that's going to be a huge advantage in Texas 
Speaking of Texas, did you see that the University of Texas is going to bring on David Cutcliffe and an analyst role? Well, how about that? Now, do you really think that Steve Sarkeesian needs any help from David Cutcliffe on his offense? I can answer that question for you. No, he doesn't. But do you know what adding David Cutcliffe does? It makes Texas that much more attractive to Arch Manning. And Texas is one of the finalists for Arch Manning along with Georgia. Now, you may have heard me say on Cover 4, or you may have heard me say on Dog Nation Daily, or you may have heard me say on uh, in Atlanta, 92 in the morning with, with Hugh and John, or you may have heard say it on The Ref uh, with Logan uh, on two Monday mornings, or Bill King in Nashville. But Todd Munkin is the key to Georgia getting Arch Manning. The Mannings like Munkin. Munkin is the genius. Munkin is the one with the great offense. Munkin is the one with the ultra run checks that enables Georgia to be in the right run play every time, right? Every time. They got the leverage every time uh, with the right call from the quarterback. And so that offense is very quarterback friendly. It's a pro-style offense. It and, and, the, and there's obviously a great defense. So I think Georgia is attractive to Arch Manning, but this move by Texas uh, to get David Cutcliffe hired, that that's going to be tough because you know Cutcliffe coached Peyton and Eli Manning. So uh, something to keep an eye on there with Texas adding David Cutcliffe, and you wonder what Kirby's next move will be. You always wonder what Kirby – Kirby's always got a trick up his sleeve. Kirby's not done yet in the portal. Uh, you've seen they haven't really added anyone. You, you, they made a play for Caleb Williams, and they didn't get him. He ended up at USC. Georgia made a play. Uh, so now it looks like Stetson, Brock, Carson, and Gunner. And it's interesting because I believe Stetson's the guy uh, going into spring. I, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure of that. And then you wonder if you're Carson and if you're Brock, do you both stick around knowing that Stetson's the guy next year? Or do you, do you transfer out? I think Carson and Brock will compete for the number two spot. And I think that one of them will leave. I think one of them will transfer out. I also think there's still a chance that Georgia could get a quarterback through the transfer portal. A lot of stuff can happen in spring drills. We're only through round one of the portal, right? Only round one. And Georgia needed to have some attrition to get this signing class in there. I, I read Connor's story on that. I think, I think that right now 81 of 85 spots are filled. If my numbers are right, I'll, we'll ask him about that when he comes on a little bit. Um, but I'm pretty sure that those numbers are pretty close. So it's pretty interesting uh, to look ahead and ask yourself who might still leave Georgia and who might come in. Also, with Jamal Adai, when Adai came to Georgia, he brought Tyke Smith with him, right? Here's the question. Does Adai bring anybody from Georgia to Miami, right? Tyreek Stevenson transferred from Georgia to Miami last year. Could another DB leave Georgia and go with Jamal Adai to Miami, just like he pulled Tyke Smith from West Virginia to Georgia. A lot of times when coaches get hired, they bring players with them. That's kind of part of the deal. So kind of interesting stuff there. Uh, talk a little bit about the Senior Bowl now. You guys know I was down in Mobile last week, and uh, – it was good. It was really good. I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm uh, texting Connor to see how close he is uh, to coming on the show right now. Just want to make sure we get our timing down. So I'm trying to multitask here. 
I thought he'd be on by now. Hmm. Can't find him. Um, yeah, there was supposed to be there was supposed to be eight Georgia guys there. Up oh, there's Connor right now. Uh, Connor, uh, if you'll just bear with me for a moment, I'm going to do a Senior Bowl wrap, and then uh, I'm going to bring Connor on. Uh, but there were eight Georgia guys down there. Eight supposed to be down there. Quay was injured, upper body injury that he played through in the playoff. I was told uh, James Cook was a last minute pull. Uh, that really surprised a lot of people because James Cook was a guy that a lot of NFL teams uh, wanted to see. He'd been written about by a lot of different programs or, excuse me, teams, uh, because who doesn't need a guy like James Cook in the backfield, right? A guy that can catch passes, a guy that can run the ball. Uh, DeAndre Swift had such great success. I think people looked at Cook as maybe being a guy like Swift. So there was a lot of disappointment in that. Uh, Cook's agent uh, telling the senior bully wanted to work on his 40 time. But the other guys that were there all – uh, performed really well. Devontae Wyatt was a real fast riser. He practiced a couple days, light sprained ankle, uh, did not play in the game, but a guy that could still slide into the late first round, solidified himself as a second rounder, according to a lot of the scouts and uh, media types that were there. Uh, I thought that uh, Jamari Salyer represented, it does, not surprising to you. Justin Schaefer, a guy that teams have a lot more interest in than I originally thought. When you see the measurables, 6'3 and a half, 330, Guy's got 10-inch hands. I mean, they love them hands, man. Those guys can latch on, and, and he's got those measurables that they really like. Showed a lot of growth and maturity this year. Camarda was Camarda, averaged 50 yards a punt in the game. He will be drafted. Um, that's been talked about. He didn't do anything to dissuade anyone. Um, so I think that's really interesting that Jake Camarda was able to play as well as he played uh, down there. And then uh, Darren Kendrick had a rough first day, bounced back from that. Um, and I think, oh, Channing Tindell, five tackles in the game. So all around a good week. You know what? I'm going to take my halftime break right now. Let's take a moment to recognize our sponsor, Ingles, every Monday night, brought to you by Ingles. You guys know the deal. Ingles always there for us. They were there for us, uh, certainly frontline front workers when all this pandemic had started and we needed to get our supplies. We knew who we could count on. It was Ingles. Let's take a moment to recognize our sponsor. in our hearts to feel for you There's been ups and downs, turnarounds good days and some bad But we stand together for worse and for better We'll always have your back With open arms, heart to heart Hand in hand Community strong And welcome back to the show. Mike Griffith here, joined by Connor Riley. Connor, thank you for joining me tonight, man. So uh, we kind of heard the buzz earlier. Any surprise from you about a dial even? Did you think Georgia would keep him? Um, it honestly compels me to make someone who wrote some final thoughts on the sort of coaching staff this morning and it tentatively being complete for a little over a day. I, I thought there would maybe been a chance that he would stick around. You know, there were obviously rumblings earlier in January of him potentially moving on but at the same point in time I, I want to try carefully here I don't think this is an indictment against a die that you know he maybe can't cut out of Georgia I think Kirby liked what he gave and brought to this program uh conversely Kirby, look Kirby Smart's maybe the best defensive backs coach in college football Will Muschamp is probably in the top five there as well and when you have those two guys on your staff that is not exactly an easy job to, 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 to walk into and to step into. And you probably have your own ideas. And he's had success 
at West Virginia before, and it's not going to surprise me to see him have success at Miami. So I, I think, you know, he came in and did a job and, and helped build a championship-level secondary that had a lot of question marks and held up when it absolutely needed to the most in the second half of that national championship game. But at the same point in time, I'm not surprised to see him leave. I, I wonder what Kirby Smart is ultimately going to do with this opening because it could he very easily slide Will Muschamp into that defensive backs coach role somewhere I believe. He, Will Muschamp is probably one of the few people on this earth where Kirby is comfortable with him and him instructing defensive backs. We saw a practice this year. Muschamp was working with defensive backs a lot, so I think you could certainly see that. But I also think there's a chance they go out and add to this staff once again. And I'm going to try and pronounce his name here. It's going to be tough. Chudea Uzo-Deribe. They hired him to be the outside linebackers coach. There's a couple of names out there. There's also a couple of analysts on Georgia's staff. You know, Scott Cochran, what do you do with him? Uh, Mike Bobo, I think it's probably a little too early to move him into an on-field role, but maybe a Buster Faulkner who was out recruiting in the month of January. You know, there's some analysts out there. Demarcus Van Dyke is a name who was currently the Miami's cornerbacks coach. What does this move mean for him? And then I'll mention Traveris Robinson. He is now the defensive backs coach at Alabama. However, he has a lot of experience with Will Muschamp, served as a defensive coordinator at South Carolina there. So there is some familiarity to mention there as well. Yeah, C-U-D, the new hire there at the outside linebackers coach. Until we can, until I can pronounce his name right, he's C-U-D to me. Uh, I, I like that hire, Connor, because it came from outside of, and, and don't take this wrong, because I think the BMAC hires and the Bobo hires and the Muschamp hires, these are all popular hires. But I think it's important to hire people from outside that Georgia bubble. And just, mm-hmm. just to get fresh, new perspective and certainly – uh, an up-and-coming coach like this, an energetic coach, because as you and I know, Dan Lanning really brought a lot of fire and energy and passion, and and that's just not easy to replace. And, you know, I don't know, can we say they've upgraded their staff? I, I think on paper they probably have with BMAC coming in over Hankton, uh, but you lose Lanning off the defense. Um, you know, so this is this is intriguing to me now, That and I'm with you. I've got to think that Muschamp, uh, stays on field and this co-defensive coordinator thing that Kirby threw at us when Lanning was leaving, I think that's going to stick. I think that's, I think that's, that's going to be how we're going to see the season start. I'm with you though, on the Cochran thing. I I'm not exactly sure, you know, where that chip falls yet. Um, does he get back into an on-field role? Does he stay as an analyst? I know when we did an award show a couple of weeks ago, uh, and had Brock Bowers on this channel right here on Monday night uh, as the National Freshman of the Year. Scott Cochran was the coach that introduced Brock. Uh, coach Hartley was on a plane recruiting somewhere, and, and and Scott Cochran kind of filled in. So I thought, you know, that was obviously a message from Kirby, you know, that that hey, you know, I'm I'm kind of all in on this guy. So one of the things I brought up earlier, Connor, with with the die leaving, was could he take someone with him? He brought Tyke Smith here, so Tyke's here. But if there was going to be a candidate to leave that secondary, who might that candidate be? And I'm just speculating. I don't know that he will, but oftentimes when a coach gets hired away, uh, a young corner will go with him. I'd be surprised if, you know, I, I would throw Tyke Smith out there, but he's already transferred once, and I don't believe he's close enough to, to being able to graduate in the spring to be able to follow him to Miami. It's hard to really say that because he wasn't super involved in the recruiting process in the 2021 cycle 
Kamari Lasseter and Nylon Green were already signed prior to Adai joining the staff. Remember, Adai was only here for one season, replacing Charlton Warren there. So I, I think while normally I might agree with you there, there's not that same deep level of connection within this secondary that there has been at some other positions. For example, Chris Smith, senior leader, coming back, taking advantage of the super senior rule allowed by the NCAA. Whoever his next defensive bats coach is going to be, that's going to be his fourth different one in college. Started with Mel Tucker as a freshman, two years of Charlton Warren, and then a die this past year. And then whoever he has this next season, I do think that's going to be interesting. And while I see people throwing names out there in, in the comment right now, Mike, there are four scholarship cornerbacks on, on, the, on the roster this spring. It is Keela Ringo, Mario Lasseter, Nylon Green, and Dalen Everett. Those guys are going to get a ton of reps. They're going to get a ton of snaps and a ton of playing time at that. And so, you know, while at some other positions, offensive line, defensive line, maybe even edge rusher, you would maybe see something along the lines of that. They're so thin in the secondary. It's not really like the Georgia coaches can't say to guys that want to stay here. Hey, we, you know, playing time is going to be something that's available to a lot of these guys if they go out and take it. Yeah, I guess the only one I would wonder about is maybe Nyland Green. You know, we know he had the off-field issues. Um, he, he he was still on the dress roster. I think he even played in the Georgia Tech game. So, obviously, he wasn't that far into the doghouse. Part of it is a numbers game. Um, but he was a pretty high-profile guy that I think you and I both expected more of this season. As it turned out, you know, uh, they didn't go very deep at corner. And, uh, you know, Keeley, Keeley got better as the year went on. And Darian Kendrick really – played well boy where would they be without Darian Kendrick right um one of the real hidden heroes of the season so yeah you might be right you know with those numbers being though that sparse there may not be a lot of motivation it's not like it was a couple of years ago when guys like Devod Wilson and Otis Reese were bailing out because they were buried on the depth chart and there were so many DBs I mean it really they went from such an overabundance uh what what were we talking like eight guys left between 2020 and 2021 and maybe even 10 when you factored in the guys that that either transferred or went towards the nfl i think there were four drafted and five counting a free agent and i don't want to say maybe five transferred um but you're right those db numbers are really slim and uh that's such an important position uh, for georgia i feel like they're really well stocked though in the front seven. And I know, you know, Jalen Carter is, is just, you know, such an all American waiting to happen. I guess I'd ask you Connor about the linebacking core, because other than Jamon Dumas Johnson, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you know, just how ready those guys are to play. Yeah. I, I would include Shmuel Munden in that a guy who played a lot of special teams for Georgia this year. And I think has maybe even a higher upside then Jamon Dumas Johnson, potentially, if, if everything sort of clicks for him there. And again, I've been a big Jamon Dumas Johnson fan for a while, but I Dumas Johnson thinking of him as a, a Kobe Dean, maybe a Monty Rice role is a more fair comparison for JDJ. And then Munden thinking of him as your Quay Walker type in terms of an athleticism there. I think the interesting thing with this linebacker room, at least in the inside linebacker room, you know, what do we see out of Tresman Marshall and Ryan Davis, guys who have been injured these last couple of years? They are the veterans in this room, but when you got those sophomores we just mentioned, I'll throw Xavier Sori in there as well. And, you know, in talking with Jeff Sintel, Sintel's intel, Jalen Walker and C.J. Washington, two early enrollees in that inside linebacker room, those are two of the more impressive guys that they have on this roster in terms of these early signees. And so those guys are going to be playing special teams for Georgia and potentially even pushing to get into the linebacker rotation there. 
Yeah, and, and to me, that's one of the bigger questions. You know, just watching Channing Tindell and Tindall, sorry, and Quay Walker, knowing that Nicobe Dean is a first-round projected pick, uh, I feel like you just lose so much there, and I don't think we've talked enough about that. Somehow I feel like the defensive line holds up. The secondary was a little shaky this year. I think it will be better. Uh, I like Christopher Smith's leadership back there. I think Ringo uh, gets better. I think those reps were big. Another offseason of work uh, for guys like Green, who was an early enrollee, uh, Kamari Lasseter, a guy that Kirby was really high on when he arrived in fall camp, uh, said he was going to be one of the rising stars. And I don't know where he ris- where he uh, had arisen to, but we didn't hear much about him after that. But I got a feeling that, that he'll be circling back. So Dan Jackson, another guy that, that penetrates. So you wonder a little bit about the defense. Flipping it over on the offense, uh, you know, talking to Jamari Salyer, talking to Justin Schaefer down there at the Senior Bowl, we were asking him, you know, who are the stars of tomorrow, right? And they mentioned the guys that are already coming back, right? Obviously, we know Cedric Van Pran. Certainly, he's got that leadership personality. We can tell that uh, when we interview him. Uh, you know, same thing with, you know, McClendon. Uh, you know, he, Warren carries himself a certain way. Warren Erickson carries himself a certain way. Broderick Jones ready to get plugged in. So I ask you, Connor, who is that fifth offensive lineman after those four that I just mentioned? Yeah, if I if I knew he was going to practice and play in the spring, I would say Tate Ratledge, probably the guy that had from from my understanding and reporting the most impressive fall camp out of anyone on the Georgia roster last year. And then, unfortunately, he breaks his foot and has to have Liz Franck surgery on the opening drive of the season, or excuse me, after the opening drive of the season. They didn't cut him open there in Charlotte. Uh, and, and so I think they like a lot what he'd be able to bring, especially from a physical standpoint. I don't think that there was a very physical offensive line last year, especially in the middle there. So I think he is a name to watch there. I, I think two other names to really monitor, Xavier Truss and Devin Willick. Now, Marius Mims is a five-star guy, and I can get to him in a second, but Truss and Willock are guys who have been in this program for multiple years now. We saw Truss step in in the Tennessee game. I thought played decently well there, but I think the coaching staff still wants to see a little bit more from him in terms of consistency. And Mims, look, he's a monster of a human being. 6'8", 325 pounds, can probably even get up above that, 330, 340, and push it. You know, Evan Neal, a guy who's going to be a top 10 pick in this upcoming NFL draft at Alabama, he was a guy who obviously tackle-sized and – you know, eventually moved out from right to right tackle to left tackle. Alabama first got him on the field as a guard. And it wouldn't stun me if Mims is a guy who does ultimately end up doing that. And you look at the last couple of lineman classes that Georgia has signed. A lot of those guys have ended up redshirting. Georgia thought so highly of Amarius Mims that they didn't even bother to try and redshirt him last year. They were playing him in games to get him reps. So I think maybe one of the more, you know, yeah, everyone here follows recruiting rankings. Mims was Georgia's highest ranked signee in the 2021 recruiting cycle. What they choose to do with Amarius Mims is going to be really interesting because I think they love what they have in Broderick Jones at left tackle and Warren McClendon at right tackle. But Mims might be so talented that they actually feel inclined to play him at one of the guard positions. I think you got to get him on the field. You got to get him in LA money. I'll tell you that. You better pay Maris Mims or somebody else will. This is the kind of pressure now. This is where NIL is, is, is put us, where before this is exactly the sort of developmental guy that, of course, he was going to stay and, and wait for year two and year three. But now there's enough other programs out there. Somebody can say to Maris Mims, hey, man, you know, we're going to plug you right in. You will be our starting right tackle. And, you know, you're going to drive this, you know, oversized Porsche SUV. 
You know, I mean, seriously, look at Kentucky basketball. They got guys driving Porsche SUVs, or excuse me, Porsche cars in Kentucky. I mean, this is so unbelievable. But is it unbelievable? I guess it's really not unbelievable. Guys have been driving cars for a while. Now they're getting the keys tossed to them above board. And I just think this is the sort of pressure that NIL has brought. I mean, these, these depth chart conversations that you and I have and love to have every offseason as we go down into the position battles and, and who could start and who's going to be the next man up. Now, all of a sudden, this NIL stuff just kind of complicates it because technically, Connor, other schools aren't supposed to be talking to these guys unless they're in the portal. But you've done enough recruiting and been around it enough. Certainly I have and Centel has. They don't have to talk to the kids. There's plenty of other people that are part of that kid's group or party or go between. And nowadays, I think you're going to start seeing agents move in, especially when you mention a guy like Amarius Mims. I mean, you got you can tell looking at this guy that he's earmarked for greatness. And a guy like that gets identified his junior or senior year of high school, there's going to be an agent knocking. It's almost like there's going to be a whole other business for NIL and agents. Now, I've, I've done a lot of speculating, a lot of talking on this. You've kind of stayed between the lines. I want you to look into your crystal ball, Connor Riley, and tell me what you see with NIL in the future. I don't know. I, I think personally speaking – there, so I, I think NIL is confounded by the new one-time transfer policy. And I think that has enticed a lot of, of people to, to conflate the two together. But I actually think they're two pretty separate issues. And I, I just think the newness of it, there's a not a misunderstanding, a lack of understanding, and I think a lack of transparency when it comes to NIL. And there's fear-mongering might be too, too big of a word, but this idea that Oh, everyone is doing this, that, and the other. You know, Jordan Davis was getting six figures, from my understanding, from NIL, and and Kirby Smart has spoken about that. Nakobe Dean has as well. JT Daniels obviously had deals with Zaxby's, and I believe Roebuck uh, as well. So Georgia, it's not like Georgia is going to be crying poor in this situation. They've clearly shown that. I think there is a, a sense from coaches Kirby Smart and Nick Saban in particular that. They don't love what this is potentially turning college football into. Kirby Smart uh, spoke about it on National Signing Day about how now this is another thing that coaches and players or players and parents are sort of factoring into recruitments. And, and Kirby, I think, would very much prefer to not have to deal with that aspect of it because, again, you know, like the NIL evaluations and how much guys are potentially getting, those are all projections. They're not hard numbers. There's no real finite, you know, tax returns or tax documents when it comes down to this stuff. So you can inflate and exaggerate however much you want. You know, Texas A&M's alleged sliced bread, uh, sliced bread source, $30 million fund. It could be way more than that. He could, Jimbo could be upset that he thinks it only costs $30 million to put that recruiting class together. I think when it comes to NIL, the more, the more years we deal with this, the lack of newness, I, I think that this has, the more we grow accustomed to this in terms of dealing with it and dealing with the cycles that come with it. Look, it's going to pretty clearly shine a light on who is willing to spend money on their program and who is not. And Texas A&M clearly jumped, I believe, to the forefront of that. But at the same point in time, look at who the top five recruiting classes are. Alabama was number two. Georgia was number three. Ohio State was number four. Texas was number five. All those schools have spent a ton of money over the past decade in terms of investing in other college football programs. And NIL isn't going to change that. It might get a few more tip-top guys, 
But the reality is Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Texas, Texas A&M, and I conclude them as well with Jimbo Fisher and what he's done there. They're going to continue to recruit at an elite level year in, year out. And I think we've seen now most of these elite programs want to continue to build through recruiting as opposed to the transfer portal because you don't always know who is going to come available in the transfer portal. No, you're right. I mean, you want that foundation of guys. You want that that nucleus of guys that you build your program around. And then ideally, you use the transfer portal to plug the holes, plug the gaps. Now, Georgia had interest in Caleb Williams, but every now every now and then a special guy is on the table and, and you want to take your shot for him and shoot your shot, so to speak. And I guess everybody kind of did the way Caleb uh, kind of leveraged all these visits and all these schools at US, you know, to get more money at USC. I mean, what a world we're living in. At some point, and, and I know you've kept up with the, you've done a really good job keeping up with the, the scholarship numbers. And I know you recently had a post on that. Um, the roster management to me, it just, it makes my head hurt trying to think about who's coming and going. And, and I think I want to say, did you say 81 scholarships are being, is, is that counting the last signing class or is that those guys not counted yet? So 81 is the number of guys that are on campus right now. That includes the early enrollees that are already here for Georgia. And that, but that is going to grow as it stands to 92 because they have 11 signed players from the 2022 recruiting class who will arrive this summer. And that 11 does not include potential transfer portal additions of their own, which essentially says, well, yes, Georgia is under the 85 right now, allowing them to go through spring practice. You're going to see another, you know, deluge of transfer portal additions after spring practice and more attrition we might add yeah you know you're you're over 92 at least seven more players are going to lose their scholarship because we think and i don't know if we projected that you know last year they were able to go over that 85 number because of the super senior provision but we believe that the ncaa is going to condense the number back to 85 so the squeeze is really going to be put on because uh, a lot of teams were carrying too many guys last year and getting away with it uh, because, again, super seniors were allowed. They didn't count against your 85. So that was kind of a bonus to have a guy like a Justin Schaefer. And, uh, gosh, I'm trying, some of the – Jordan Davis. Devontae Wyatt. Devontae Wyatt. Yeah, so this is pretty fascinating to me to, to wonder who are the seven guys. You know, they're going to get cut out of the mix. A couple of the guys you mentioned earlier – you know, uh, some of the injured guys, you wonder if they're going to be able to stick around and and make it. Um, and then you wonder also who Kirby might recruit and bring in with Jermaine Burton leaving. Is there a need to add another uh, great receiver to the core? You know, and, and then you also wonder about uh, running backs right now. You're sitting at four. You know, do you get that fifth running back, um, you know, experience back? Because let's face it, there have been injuries. And Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton have both missed time, uh, you know, periodically. Minor injuries, but still, I just don't know how comfortable George or, uh, Kirby is with four. I remember the, the day after press conference, you know, he said we lost some, when he was talking about rebuilding. One of the comments he made was we lost some good backs, you know, and that went right after talking about rebuilding. So it kind of made me wonder if Kirby's brain was on bringing on a transfer. It, it's all fluid. It all changes from week to week with every transfer, uh, with every opportunity, every possibility, you know, Georgia football is just kind of ever evolving. And, you know, people always say, well, what's, what's next, (laughs) man, I don't know. Stay tuned. I mean, somebody might leave, somebody might come coaching stories, What Sunday 
was it Sunday morning they hired the guy? For, I mean, you're like, wait a minute. What, whose news cycle is this? Friday afternoons, Sunday mornings, tonight, uh, right before I went on the air. And, and thank you uh, very much for, for joining me. Before I let you go, Connor, uh, so people are asking. They actually are asking this question. now. They're, ask, they're actually asking about Georgia basketball. And, and yes, I was there. And, uh, and, and I'm glad I was there. It was on, I mean, I was one of the people I'm watching, I'm sitting there at halftime. I'm going, this is, this is terrible. They don't, they don't, they just, they don't have as good of players. I mean, Auburn and I covered Bruce Pearl at Tennessee. He never had a roster like this. I mean, Walker Kessler's coming off the bench, man. I mean, these guys are, they look like an NBA team. I mean, this is big, strong, athletic shooters, dunkers, passers, you know, rebound. I mean, they're just, they're just, I'm just like, I cannot believe he did this at Auburn, right? So, and George, and here's George, you know, they got the two graduate transfer power forwards. They're gone. 6'4", 245-pound, 24-year-old men. They're injured. They're out for the year. They got nobody that can rebound. Uh, you and I could box out their front line. You know, they got this transfer guard from Gonzaga. You know, he's missing free throws. He, he, former walk-on Jackson Etter, who was fantastic. Might have been their best player, a former walk-on. in shades of Stetson Bennett. You know, and they're coming from behind. And I'm thinking, are they going to beat the number one? Is this is this going to happen? I mean, the place is popping. It's exploding. Yeah, they gave out free jerseys and pizzas to the students. That's a little bit more than a little bit. They of were doing given. that when I was in college. Were they giving out that much? So let me, that's where I was yeah. going with this. Like, it, I, I they don't pay the players at Georgia. You got to pay the players. You got to pay the players, you're not going to win with transfers from Florida Atlantic and Illinois Chicago. You can't do it. So you got to fork it over. So, Connor, does Georgia, will Georgia ever care enough about basketball to introduce the kind of funds that you need to compete with Pearl and Cal Perry and Alabama and Arkansas? So, Josh Brooks is the new athletic director. And look, Tom Crean, I, I don't think he's a bad, like, you know, things haven't gone the way he envisioned at Georgia. I think he'd certainly agree with that. I think. You know, all the changes that have come in college basketball. Tom Crean's not the only one that has struggled to deal with that. Like, Roy Williams at North Carolina, a multiple championship winning coach, straight up retired instead of trying to to weather sort of the transfer portal and all that comes with that. You know, Josh Brooks, I think, is very clearly going to have a, a choice to make at the end of the season. And I expect Jordan to be looking for a new basketball coach. You touched on it there, and I'll even make it more specific with Auburn. You have to be able to recruit the state of Georgia. There's enough talent in this state on a year-in, year-out basis. And you look at Auburn, Walker Kessler, whose brother I covered at Georgia, Houston Kessler, his dad and his uncle all played at Georgia, never once considered playing for Georgia either time of his recruitments, whether he was coming from North Carolina or at coming out of high school. You know, Katie Johnson, we don't need to go into why he is at Auburn right now. You look at Isaiah Okoro, who's a lottery pick from McEachern High School. Uh, Sharif Cooper, the year before, from that same McEachern High School in Powder Springs, Georgia. Bruce Pearl has gotten Auburn to where it is right now because he's just gone in and raided the city of Atlanta and really the state of Georgia as a whole. And so I think whoever is that next head coach at Georgia, they're going to need to have some serious ties to Atlanta and be able to recruit Atlanta because I, I do believe that Georgia wants to have, you know, a basketball program like Auburn, like say in Alabama or an LSU, you know, you can be both – a football factory and a basketball factory. It is not, I believe, a binary solution in this new age of money that comes with college sports, especially when the SEC is supposed to get so much more money from this new TV deal, and as well as potential extra revenue when Texas and Oklahoma join the conference there as well. So don't tell me that they can't afford the money to do this. 
Look at some of the coaches that Josh Brooks as the athletic director has gone out and hired. I believe he's hired a track and field coach and a soccer coach. Both of the coaches that he hired had previously won a national championship at their last stop. Now, I'm not saying that's what Josh Brooks is going to go out and do when it comes to basketball. He's not going to hire uh, a Jay Wright from Villanova, so to speak, or John Calipari from Kentucky. But he's going to swing for the fences and make Georgia a very attractive place to whoever that next head coach is. And so, you know, I understand the frustrations. I myself have somewhat lived them. I believe Georgia can be a very good basketball school. We saw on Saturday that when they have something to cheer for, or in this case, cheer against in Auburn, that can be an electric atmosphere there in Stegman. Georgia just has to find that right guy who has that right combination of being able to recruit the city of Atlanta and more specifically the state of Georgia while also dealing with the transfer portal, knowing that, hey, I might need to go grab, you know, talented player X from North Carolina or Duke and add that to this roster. Yeah, you know, I look at the culture, Connor. There's been one regular season championship in the history of Georgia basketball. Just Georgia Tech has two in the SEC. They're not even in the league. I don't think it's Crean's ability to recruit. You got Anthony Edwards here. I think it's simply the money. And the coaches, and and I mean, I hate to say this, but – the programs that were cheating, it paid. Bill Self was under an FBI investigation. And Kansas said, ah, that's all right. We're going to give him a lifetime contract. Auburn, FBI, LSU, wiretap. They just beat the crowd. And now that all this is like cool, it's going to pay. They, they beat the system. And, and Crane, I remember saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pay players. We're not going to do it. I'm not going to break these rules. Well, you know what? Now you don't have to break the rules, Tom Crean. What you do have to do is get some boosters that are willing to put the sort of deals in place that will get those kids out of Atlanta. And basketball, unlike football, although I think football is catching up now, but with the AAU ranks, and you know this, having gone to a Metro Atlanta school yourself, they're able to identify these guys very early in their careers. And these guys are manipulating schools all the way up through high school, much less the AU programs. Now, the way the the scam used to work, the shoe companies would get involved. For example, I don't know if you remember the Atlanta Celtics. The Atlanta Celtics were this un, I mean. Clyde Howard, Tony Parker. I went and saw these guys play and I I felt like I was watching the Harlem Globe. I said, this is like, these are high school guys. I mean, it was unbelievable. Adidas, Adidas sponsored program. Guess where the Atlanta Celtics went? Adidas sponsored college schools. You know, this is how this works. Which tournament is playing? Is he playing in the Peach Jam? Yeah, it's a Nike tournament. He's gonna, these guys are going to Nike schools. So the shoe executives were getting these guys nailed down and placing them at, at respective schools that were with the shoe brand. So the coaches technically didn't have to get their hands dirty. John Calipari technically didn't have his fingerprints on anything. He didn't have to. There were other people that were going to deliver the goods. That's how it's worked forever. Now with the NIL, these, the, there's going to be some new corporate sponsorship. For example, I keep mentioning the Porsche deal at Kentucky. I mean, that to me, that just, I'm just, it's blowing my mind. I mean, we got rugs out there driving 130 miles an hour, and, and now you're, you're going to hand the keys to a Porsche to an 18-year-old. I mean, some of this stuff kind of blows my mind, man. I just don't know if I can see Georgia forking the money over to pay the basketball players like they do the football players. I just, I don't know that it matters enough, but I looked around, uh, you know, Stegman Coliseum and, and that's a great basketball environment. There's, there's not a bad seat in the house. The students were all in, 
the way that place lit up red, I thought, man, this is this is big time, you know. And and Crane is a good coach. I saw him in the Big Ten. He won a couple Big Ten titles. He's you know he's he's in a Hall of Fame at Marquette. NBA players endorse him, which is huge. When players you know can ask Anthony Edwards and 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 ask you know Dwayne Wade and ask Victor Aladipo, and they'll say, yeah, Crane will get you right. But can he generate the excitement? Can he generate the buzz? And to me, that's where the Georgia basketball culture question comes in. Do they really care enough? And I, because I don't think it's as simple as getting a coach. I think it's changing the culture and getting hungry enough to do what it takes. Because I think the facilities, I think the facilities are fine. I, I, I don't think they're the greatest in the league, but I think they're fine. I think the arena is fine. The college is great. I will say this. You talk about why KD Johnson's not here, and I'm not going to get into that either. But at Georgia, you do have to go to class. And if you don't go to class, you get suspended. And if you get suspended, you might decide to transfer somewhere. So not all schools are going to be that stringent with the student athlete. Georgia is. Does Georgia change? You know, and I, I just and, and I'll ask you that as an alum. Would you want to see a more lax standard for student athletes at Georgia if it meant that you could recruit more and retain more. So you're asking, do I want Georgia to be a successful basketball program that wins like Auburn is winning right now, like Tennessee won when Bruce Pearl was there, like like Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Milwaukee won when Bruce Pearl was there, where he had NCAA violations at both places. Wait I think it's very nice. What do you do? At he had he had an NCAA violation on him at NCAA at University of Wisconsin Milwaukee. So. And that just goes back to, you know, that's who he has been in his time as a coach there. So, look, as an alum, you know, look, I my relationship with Georgia sports is complicated, obviously, because I cover the programs there. Mm-hmm. However, as someone who has a lot of friends that are Georgia alums as well, I can tell you they would not care if Georgia was if, – if whoever Georgia's next head coach was was getting caught with the stuff that, that say, uh, Bruce Pearl has been caught with. So I think they want to see a winning basketball program. And – I believe that can be built at Georgia. And I like to think that Josh Brooks believes that as well. And he's going to go out and make a hire that can change the culture here at Georgia to where we're no longer looking at it. Like, why is this so hard? Cause I actually don't think it's that hard. If you're as Auburn has very clearly shown you, if you're able to recruit the state of Georgia, if you have good ties to the high school coaches in Georgia or the AAU coaches in Georgia, look at how that Auburn team has been built. Obviously Bruce Pearl has an advantage when it comes to that. And he's the biggest thorn in the side of Georgia basketball right now. But I think if you're able to come in there and do that, I think you can pretty quickly get at least, you know, a, a team that is in the NCAA tournament every year. You know, when they moved on from Mark Fox, it was no longer good enough to get a team into the tournament every, you know, three to four years. They wanted a team that was going to consistently make it and eventually win games and show that you were getting better. It was not what Tom Crean has been able to do so far. And now they have, this program has fallen back to where it was when Mark Fox was fired and I think going forward, they're going to want to get to a place. You know, I don't think they want to necessarily envision right away, hey, Final Fours and, and things like that. They want to go to a spot, though, where they are no longer a doormat and they are consistently in the top half of the SEC. So this comment from Maloney here, Robert Maloney, I'm with Connor, bring in the slime balls and let the tutors do the work. I don't think that's exactly what Connor was saying, but I do think Connor was saying that, yes, some things could be compromised in the name of uh, competitive athletics, because if we're being honest, that that that's exactly what what happens 
in in all uh, most all places have to make some compromise. There's very few places where you know the the athletes are truly held. This is just fact. Truly held to the exact same standards. Now, a lot of what George is able to do is they have a great tutorial center, and and they do take it serious. I mean, one of the complaints you hear, one of the whispers you hear, is that Georgia they want the kids to be Vanderbilt Monday through Friday, and then Alabama on Saturday and Sunday, and and that's a, that's a fine line to walk. You know, my hope in in this story I did with Josh Brooks is you know that with the success that Georgia football's had with this national championship they've had, that this will provide enough momentum, Connor, that Brooks will have more persuasion and power uh, with the president. And, you know, maybe we'll even see a statue or two built uh, on the campus. Like, I mean, I think Georgia needs a camp. Am I wrong here? Are we good with the Herschel Walker statue? What statue are you putting up first, if we can put up a football statue at at Georgia? I don't know that we need monuments up with these guys because it seems like monuments these days just get torn down, you know, years later after the fact. So there, there's a danger in, in in canonizing them. I do, you know, for example, the Coach Dooley monument. That that is something that's an iconic moment in Georgia football history. Now, you know, if you're building a statue for the 2021 team, why not Keely Ringo skying up there for the pick six, and you have Kirby Smart off to the sideline jumping through the roof? I mean, I think that's a pretty good one that you could realistically do right there. So if that's what we end up seeing, I think you could see that potentially. Well, they were talking about Jordan Davis statue, but they don't have enough cement. <laughs> so no, I, I would like to see like a giant Jordan Davis, like a 50 foot tall 99 Jersey, like guarding the gate, like some monster monstrous. Uh, st- I, I do think Jordan Davis is the guy that will, he'll be the first hall of famer, from this team, you know, he's, he's a slam dunk college football hall of famer with the Outland trophy with the Benaric. Oh, okay. Um, college. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, I, you know, and I don't know what's going to happen with the NFL and, and I guess I'll finish with this. I could keep Connor here all night, but I'm not going to do that. He was only supposed to come on and talk about the hire, but I'm, I've got him. So I'm going to ask him some more questions because it's fun to get these opinions out of him. I talked about the senior bowl right before you came on and, um, Jordan Davis is off trying to lose weight somewhere, which I'm not sure is a good idea. He might test better, but how good is he going to play at 305 or 310 if he gets down that low? I don't know. But I would ask you about this upcoming draft. If you were a GM and and they said, man, I want you to go with best available. Give me a list of your four best available bold, regardless of position, forget our team needs. Who are the top four guys off of this Georgia football team that you're drafting in order? I would say Kobe Dean is number one uh, by a lengthy margin. I think he is the perfect football player and a guy you would absolutely want to build your franchise around. He might, he's probably going to fall on mock draft boards and things like that after he goes and gets, you know, measures into the combine. He's 5'9", 5'10". Cool. He's by far the best football player every time he has stepped on the football field in his career at Georgia, I would say, except, you know, maybe the SEC championship game when Bryce Young had an out-of-body experience that day. Uh, Two... Give me Trayvon Walker because I believe his best his best football is still in front of him. And I know that's sometimes a risk, but his upside there in a system where he, his athletic gifts might be more optimized as a pass rusher. Jordan didn't ask him to do that nearly as much as, say, Michigan did with Aiden Hutchinson. And you can't knock the results because it led to a national championship. But I think, I think Trayvon Walker is the kind of guy that can develop into a big-time player there. I'll go Jordan Davis third there. 
the, you know, obviously the weight was a question and will be one for a while. And there's also some scheme fit questions, but if you're a three, four team that is looking for a nose tackle, but the, the Los Angeles chargers, for example, if Jordan Davis is on the board there at 17, they should sprint to the podium and not spend two seconds thinking about it. They had the worst run defense in a mile last year. I think his presence alone, if, if he is healthy and able to go, that's going to make them take them from awful to middle of the pack. And that enough might be enough to get them into the playoffs. And then if I had to go a fourth one here, you know, Devontae Wyatt, I think is going to end up sneaking into the, into the first round there, but give me James cook. Uh, I, I think he's a, uh, yeah, I know Mike, you're not exactly thrilled with him bailing on the senior bowl, but I just think with what he's able to do from a versatility standpoint, I think is going to intrigue a lot of teams. I'm not saying he's going to be Debo Samuel, but with the versatility that Debo Samuel had, I think teams are going to maybe try and look for that. And, and I choose to believe the teams are smarter than saying, Hey, let's go find the next Debo Samuel. No, let's find players who can do similar things to what Debo does within the confines of our offense. I think James Cook's ability as a pass catcher and a runner make him that intriguing type of player. So while Devontae Wyatt is good, George Pickens, if he's fully healthy, I think there's a good chance he's a potential first round pick. Give me James Cook there as the four spot. Wow. I like it. I like the confidence. I'm going with Pickens in that four spot. I, I love me some Pickens. You know, I was talking with uh, I was talking with Darian Kendrick about the receivers and I was asking him what made George Pickens so good. And he said how smart he is. He said, George Pickens. He's a football player. He knows exactly what you're trying to do on defense. He knows how to leverage you. He also said Jermaine Burton right there with Pickens, a guy that was so quick with the release, knew how to get off the ball. These are going to be things that we're going to stay tuned into and talk about all offseason. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us tonight on our Ingles on the Beach show. Love the guest appearance by Connor Riley. Connor got the story up earlier. If you missed the news, Jamal Adai heading to Miami. Connor's got a story up on that right now. And I'm sure Connor and I will have stories in the morning related to that. I'll have some more NFL stuff for you tomorrow. And if you didn't see the message from Josh Brooks, great news. Ticket prices not going up in 2022, and neither are concession prices. You would think now would be a time for Georgia to gouge you. Brooks is saying, no, no, we're investing in the fans. We appreciate how they invested in us. So a lot of good news for Georgia athletics. Everybody have a great night. Watch Connor. He'll be back here tomorrow night with more fire for you here on Dog Nation.